My name is Carl. I'm one of the elders here. The scripture passage today comes from Luke 14, first 14 verses, and then we'll also look at Luke 13. If you're using the Blue Pew Bible, it's on page 873. Let's stand for the reading of God's word. Luke chapter 14, starting in verse 1. One Sabbath, when he went to dine at the house of a ruler of the Pharisees, they were watching him carefully. And behold, there was a man before him who had dropsy. And Jesus responded to the lawyers and Pharisees, saying, Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? But they remained silent. Then he took him and healed him and sent him away and said to them, which of you, having a son or an ox that has fallen into a well on a Sabbath day, will not immediately pull him out? And they could not reply to these things. Now he told a parable to those who were invited when he noticed how they chose the places of honor, saying to them, When you are invited by someone to a wedding feast, do not sit down in a place of honor, lest someone more distinguished than you be invited by him. And he who invited you both will come and say to you, Give your place to this person, and then you will begin with shame to take the lowest place. But when you are invited, go and sit in the lowest place, so that when your host comes, he may say to you, Friend, move up higher. Then you will be honored in the presence of all who sit at the table with you. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. He said also to the man who had invited him, when you give a dinner or a banquet, do not invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or rich neighbors, lest they also invite you in return and you be repaid. But when you give a feast, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed because they cannot repay you, for you will be repaid at the resurrection of the just. And then just one chapter back in verse, chapter 13, starting in verse 6. And he told this parable. A man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard, and he came seeking fruit on it and found none. <clears throat> and he said to the vine dresser, Look, for three years now I have come seeking fruit on this fig tree, and I find none. Cut it down. Why should it use up the ground? And he answered him, Sir, let it alone this year also until I dig around it and put on manure. Then if it should bear fruit next year, well and good. But if not, you can cut it down. You may be seated. It's our practice to take a few minutes to meditate on God's word. Good morning, Christ Community Church. If you happen to notice that the passage was different than what Carl read, I want you to know, because I know Paul probably noticed that that, that was on me. I changed the passage last night. <laughs> um, last week, Pastor Paul ended his sermon with the parable about the fig tree. And, and, and he came to us with an urgent call, an urgent call for us to look at ourselves and to try and warn us against the hypocrisy of the fig tree. I think it's important for us to think about what that is and why that's important because hypocrisy is a, a theme that goes all throughout the Old Testament and the New Testament. It's particularly important because when the fig tree isn't true to who it is, it's a liar. 
But more important than that, the fig tree makes God a liar. Because the fig tree is saying this gospel, this, this new life that you have in Christ, that you've been promised, if the new man looks like the old man, then God's word is not true. And it's particularly important for us to know that because even the lost and the blind see the obvious contradiction in a Christian that doesn't bear fruit. We've all talked to people who, who said, why would I go to church and become a Christian? I know Christians. They're just like everybody else. You see, it's obvious that we're called to be different. It's obvious that being in the world but of, not of the world means that everyone should see that there is something different about us. That's how we are salt and light in the world. And that's what the parable of the fig tree is about. And when we get into this week's passage, we're seeing Jesus as the vine dresser. Remember, in the passage of the fig tree, the vine dresser was the person who interceded on behalf of the tree, saying, let me get into the root. Let me find out why it doesn't bear fruit. Let me give it manure. Let me connect it, its roots, to life. Because the roots don't give us life. The roots are the part of the tree that connect it to its source of life, its source of power. And what Jesus is going to do is he's going to come before the scribes and Pharisees, and he's going to point out to them when that source is not God. He's going to connect them to the truth and create for them a decision. Now, there are a lot of different roots that we could have. There are a lot of different ways in which we, we draw uh, what is important and gives us life. But Jesus is going to concentrate on three. The law, where he's going to present to them the difference between religion and grace. And he's going to ask them to choose God. He's going to present to them the notion of the Lord. In other words, who really has the throne of your heart? Is it you or is it idols or is it God? And then he's going to present to them the root of the world. Because the notion of the fig tree is that you're going to live and bear fruit like you look like a citizen of the world when you're not a citizen of an earthly kingdom, you're a citizen of a heavenly kingdom. So let us begin with the law. The scribes and the Pharisees had examined God's word and they had found 613 laws. 613 ways in which the people of God could disappoint God. But then what they did is they took that and they said, hey, look, we're going to create literally thousands of regulations, thousands of ways to separate us from disappointing God. And if we follow those, then we'll be righteous before God. By our own hand, we will have earned our own righteousness. So what they did is they found in God's word a mechanism to make God smaller, to make him manageable, 
God's holiness is only this big, and if I do these things, then I'm going to be in heaven. So what they did is they separated themselves from God using his word. Because you don't need a savior if you can earn your own righteousness. But see, they didn't stop there. Jesus had previously given them this warning and how they used the law against the people. He said, woe to you, for you load the people with burdens hard to bear, and you yourself do not lift one finger to touch their burdens. You've taken away the key of knowledge. You did not yourself enter in, and you enter those who want to enter from entering. You see, they now had taken God's word, and they used it to separate God's people from God. And they use it to separate themselves from God's people. So when Jesus is asking them, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? He's exposing their hard-heartedness to the pain and the suffering and the burdens of God's people. And when he heals the man He's giving them a physical expression of what God desires. Because God desires from them that they would love the Lord God with all their heart, with all their soul, and with all their might, and that they would love their neighbor as themselves. The heart of the law is love. It is the absolute love we're called to have for the Father which defines our worth and is expressed in the love we have for our neighbor. God's word does not separate us from God. It draws us nearer to God. It doesn't create excuses on why we can't love our neighbor or care for our neighbor. And when Jesus says to them, if your son fell into the well on the Sabbath, wouldn't you immediately take him out? What he's showing to them is not just their own hypocrisy, but he's showing them that they understand the law does not prohibit you from caring for people that you're called to love. See, they know the law, but they won't apply the law to people other than themselves in the right way. Jesus is exposing the root of religion to them. Because if you think you're righteous by your own hand, it affects how you love your neighbor and how you love God. He's calling them to rest on God's grace, to recognize that he has done for them which they could not do for themselves. Jesus is calling them to choose to be who they are which is children of grace. Now, in this parable, just like in the other stories, we're not told what they do. But I don't think that they had ears to hear because he doesn't end there. He goes on to the next thing. He gives them a parable. And this parable is about the Lord. And it says, Jesus noticed how those who were invited chose the places of honor. So you can picture this. They're walking into the room. They're looking around because they know they deserve the place of honor. 
They're the most important person in the room. And the funny thing is Jesus is in the room. Jesus is in the room. I see them walking up and say, hey, Jesus, can you, can you just slide down a little bit? Because clearly you're in my seat. And this is an outward reflection of their inward heart. Because the throne of their heart belongs to them. It belongs to an idol. Now, idols don't have to just be that. It, it, it can't necessarily just be the worship of a god like Baal. Sometimes it's anything that you allow to take the place of God as central in your life. For the scribes and Pharisees, it appeared to be honor and recognition. Could be wealth. If we're talking about today, maybe it's our 401k, maybe it's security, maybe it's job. Maybe it's having the right political party in the, in the White House. I don't know. Sometimes these things aren't bad things. Sometimes they're good things. But if a good thing becomes a God thing, that's when it becomes an idol. Now, that can happen in a lot of different ways for a lot of different people. It can be very insidious in how it works. And I'd like to share you with you a, a way that it happened to me at one point. When I went to seminary, one of the things that was important to me was that my time of study glorify God, that it would be a time when I would worship and I would come to know God better. But about six months into uh, my time of study, I realized that it was becoming more of a scholastic exercise. Because if you know me, you know I'm a recovering type A. See, I, I was about getting an A. I was about doing the best possible work. So, you know, God stopped being at the center of my seminary experience. Now, fortunately for me, one of the elders at Christ Community Church had agreed to be my mentor during my seminary work. And I went and I explained this to him. And he was able to root out the idol like so fast. And he looks at me and he asks me one simple question. He says, Mark, do you pray before you study? Well, that's a question that gets right down to it. That gets right down to it. Because he said, if you're not praying, then it's not worship. If you want it to be worship, you have to treat it like worship. That one thing that exposed how that was becoming an idol for me changed my seminary experience. It changed everything about the next three years as I did that work. It helped me order my life in a right way. And for that, I would like to thank Bill Mallow. Now, Jesus moves on because he's exposed this root. He's exposed the root that we need to have control of our lives. We need to sit on the throne. And what he's done to them is that then he looks at them and he says, you need to choose to be who you are because you don't sit on the throne. You're a child of God. God is king. 
And he's just asking them once again, just be who you are. Again, we don't get their response. But again, I think that they didn't have ears to hear because he goes on to another story. But this time he's isolated down. Now he's talking to just the host. And he says, when you give a banquet, do not invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or your rich neighbors, lest they also invite you in return and you be repaid. But when you give a feast, invite the poor and the crippled and the lame and the blind, and you will be blessed because they cannot repay you. For you will be repaid at the time of the resurrection of the just. Jesus is exposing another root. And that root is the fact, how do we interact with the world? And he's saying, your interactions are transactional. You love people because you expect them to love you back. You give honor because you expect to receive honor. You give recognition so that you'll be recognized. And he says, that's how a citizen of the world acts. He says, but he calls them to be something different. He says, but what you are is a citizen of the heavenly kingdom. So what I want you to do it's okay to love your neighbor. It's okay to love your family. It's okay. He's not saying those things are bad things. But he's saying if the heart of those relationships is that you get something because you gave something, then that's the wrong thing. So when he gives them the example of the crippled and the lame and the blind, and he says, love people who can't love you back, he says, because that's how God loved you. While you were yet a sinner, God sent his son to redeem you. See, that's how we're citizens of the heavenly kingdom. We love those who aren't going to give us anything back. We love those who are unlovely, who are maybe unlovable. But that's how we connect people to God. Now, I can't tell you what that would look like if you're called to that, if, if, if the Spirit is moving you, but, but I can tell you how I've seen it in my life. Um, 38 years ago, I met my wife, Carol. We got married. Now, she wasn't a Christian, so we were unequally yoked. Now, the reason that happened was because I wasn't a very mature Christian. But I fell under conviction and I started to pray for my wife. And over the next 20 years, nothing really happened. You'd see some movement, but then you'd go back. Nothing's really happened. And then about 15 or 16 years ago, the company I worked for, Reese Jewelers, said they were going to transfer me to Wilmington. And my wife and I sat down, and we agreed that once we came here, we would attend church together. And a friend of mine, had an, who was a member at Christ Community Church, invited me to attend. And so we came, and I started attending church. But then once we got, when my wife came and we moved and we got settled, she didn't 
attend church. But every Sunday, I would go home, and over Sunday lunch, I would share the sermon with her. And she was receptive, but nothing was really happening she didn't attend. And then, about two or three years later, her sister who lived with us passed away. And members of the church who had never met my wife because she had never attended here called her to offer sympathy. Members of the church who didn't know my wife came and visited her and brought her meals and sat with her in her moment of pain. And because of that, my wife started to attend church here. And two years later, Pastor Paul baptized my wife right there. You see, these people came and they connected my wife to God's love. And she may not have been able to express it that way, but that was the reality. And those simple acts, those simple acts where somebody who is a child of God, who is connected to God's love because of that, reaches out and connects to someone else, gives God's love to someone else, is what the fig tree is guilty of not doing. Because that's why we're here. So what I would tell you is that there is going to come a time when God is going to come. And we read about it in Matthew 25 where it talks about Christ comes and he's in power and he's with the angels and he separates the sheep from the goats and he turns to the sheep and says, come into the kingdom that was prepared for you from before the foundations. And he tells them the reason is because when I was hungry, you fed me. When I was clothed, when I was naked, you clothed me. When I was thirsty, you gave me water. When I was in prison, you visited me. When I was sick, you visited me. And they, and they say, yeah, we didn't do that. We don't remember that. And he says, when you did that to the least of these, you did it to me. Beloved, that is the message today. That is the message of the fig tree. God is calling you to be who you authentically are. You are called to be a fruitful tree. That's not something new. It is something that you are. And as we go into this Advent season, I would ask you to pray to think about how you can be that because that's what the world needs now. It needs authentic trees bearing fruit. That's how we bring God's light into a dark world. Heavenly Father, we lift up our hearts to you in thanks that while we were yet sinners, you sent your son to die on a cross 
so that we might have life and have it more abundantly. And as we move through this Advent season, help us to draw near to you. Help us to love you. Help us to love one another. Help us to seek out those who are both spiritually and physically hungry, thirsty, sick, and alone. Help us to be your hands and feet in your light in a dark world. Help us to be fruitful. And all God's people said, amen.